The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, everyone. I'm Leah Smart, and welcome to In the Arena, a LinkedIn self-development podcast. Our show explores the vulnerable aspects of the human experience to inspire transformation. Hey, everyone. Okay, so I am super excited about this episode. First, because I absolutely love this guest. But second, because hiring a coach was my gateway into this work. And it was one of the most transformative experiences for my personal growth and for cultivating more of my purpose and the work that I wanted to do. So today, my guest is Michael Bungay Sr., also known as MBS, and he's best known for his book, The Coaching Habit. It sold close to a million copies. It has thousands of five-star reviews online. And what he does in the book is gives a practical framework for how to coach people and hint, hint, how to coach yourself, which is something you might want to try. Self-coaching has been an incredibly meaningful thing that's pulled me through in moments where I didn't have an active coach or where I just needed some on-the-spot, immediate understanding of where I was and what I needed to do next. Now, his newest book is called How to Begin. And in it, he blends personal stories with simple frameworks to help you make moves on your goals and start something that matters. And if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know what my goals are, this probably isn't for me. Well, it is for you because he's going to also help you discover your goals and accept them as well. And the reason I use the word accept is because so many of us have dreams, desires, goals that we shove into the closets or into the attics that we don't have to think about doing it or not doing it. We don't have to worry about failing at it. And sometimes it's that we don't want to have to worry about succeeding at it and what would change in our lives if we did. So Michael is going to address all of that. Now, my favorite part is that he says a worthy goal has three important components. One, it has to be thrilling. Two, it has to be important. And three, it's got to be a little daunting. So in this conversation, we're talking about getting clear on what you want and starting whatever it is that truly matters to you. So if you're looking for purposeful work, start here and enjoy. In this moment, are you moving away from something or are you moving towards something? We have Michael Bungay Stanier in the arena. Michael, thank you so much for joining me here. I am happy to be in the arena, sweaty, dusty, ready to go. <laughs> and funny enough, that's that seems like it's sort of what your whole book is about, right? Your your new book called How to Begin is all about how we get ourselves into that sweaty, dusty, messy, mucky arena. It is. And I love you making that connection. I mean, when I first started writing this book, I thought I was writing a very different book. And I wrote I wrote a bunch of pages and I shared it with some friends. And one of my friends, Misha, wrote back and said, look, I've read 40 pages of your book. I have no idea what it's about. I was like, ah. <laughs> And I was like, that's, that is cruel, but it's also fair. Uh, but when I looked at the, the rubble of what I sent him, there's one sentence that I really liked that I'd written, which is, we unlock our greatness by taking on the hard things. And so this book around how to begin 
really comes from this idea of, look, find, find something that's worth it. Find something that's worthy of you and your life that speaks to your ambition and your ambition for the world and take it on because life is short and for all of our sakes, but for your sake, get in the arena. Gosh, you said life is short and it reminded me of the book that came out around the five things that people most regret when they oh, yeah. die. And so this whole life is short thing is is so cliche, but also so real. And mm. it seems like it takes us, you know, getting kind of to the edges of life to figure out how short it really is. And then, you know, beginning. Yeah. I wonder if your book is sort of an invitation to do this before we have some of these experiences. Oh, I hope so. I mean, I've shared this book with with people and you know what, there's one group of readers who are what David Brooks, the New York Times op-ed guy would call the second mountain type of yes. people. You've, you know, you've had a career, you've done, you've got to wherever you'd got to in your career, you've probably left that, that big work thing and you're in your 50s or your 60s or your 70s and you're still vital and you're still up for it and you're like well now what <laughs> and you don't you don't need the you don't need the title and you're not after the money so much you're after legacy and so there's that thinking of that and that's definitely got a little bit of the shadow of death as part of it it's like okay here I am I'm in my last my last third of my life how am I going to make the most of this in a way that is meaningful I love those people I'm one of them actually but I would love this to speak to Gen Z people who are just going look I'm in my late teens or I'm in my early 20s this world needs me yeah <laughs> I, I'm skeptical about some of the narratives about what success looks like in terms of what you have to do and who you have to be and what career you have to have but what am I up for what what's possible for me so it's true for all of us. I mean, for years we've been talking about millennials, you know, and I'm never, I'm a bit skeptical about this whole generation thing, but let's, let's go with it for now. <laughs> this whole millennials and they're like, okay, well we spent years going, oh, they're slackers and they're privileged and this and the other, which is all BS. But they're now more than 50% of our, of our workplace. And this sense that millennials have a degree of skepticism about some of the work that gets done and millennials are willing to kind of seek purpose in the work that they're doing, brilliant. And hopefully this book is, one of the, is a tool to help people not just feel that in theory, but to get onto it in practice. Well, you know what? I am a millennial and I can tell you what I love about this book is some books you read are purely workbooks, right? So, mm. you know, there's that. There's some books you read that are purely about thought, right? Getting you to deepen your learning about something. Mm. This book was a really great blend of I was deepening my learning about things, but also deepening my learning about myself and then understanding what actions I could take to move forward. So it was a really beautiful way of blending those pieces. Yeah, it's like, what's worth your life? You know, that's the kind of the blunt way of putting it. What's worth your life? And, you know, we, we everybody inherits expectations. And sometimes we kind of hear our inner voice going, this is what you should be doing. And sometimes we're hearing other people's voices going, this is what you should be doing. And those aren't necessarily untrue, but they're just another another opinion. And this idea of how do you find the right balance between what I say in the book, you know, thrilling and important and daunting. Thrilling lights you up, speaks to who you are, speaks to the the narrative you want to write about yourself. Important gives more than it takes. You know, it's about the bigger game. It serves a bigger purpose. 
And then daunting is about how, how does it grow you? How does it stretch you? How does it scare the bejesus out of you? I mean, it's that sort of sense of like what feels like sweaty and difficult because it comes back to that idea of we unlock our greatness by working on the hard things. So you want that combination of thrilling, important, and daunting. But that takes a certain amount of unlearning the expectations that yourself and others may have placed on you. Michael, what have you learned about the unlearning process? I start off from a, a position where I, I've got a bit of a wiring to <laughs> resist expectations. So I've always been a bit of a zagger when others are zigging. So, you know, it, it, I'm an interesting mix. Like I've been married 30 years, but, you know, I don't have children. I'm ha very happily child-free. I've never owned a house. I've never owned a car. I, I've attempted to have a career in organizations and I wasn't very good at it. So I've, I've, I am an entrepreneur by necessity because I'm unemployable <laughs> largely. So, you know, I've always had a little bit of a wiring to go, look, I just kind of, I kind of have a, a knee-jerk reaction against expectations. But let's not kid myself, I still carry a, a bunch of that stuff in my own head around what I should be doing and who I should be. So uh, I just spend quite a lot of time thinking about who I am in this world and, and what matters to me. So I, I think about the bigger purpose I'm trying to serve. I think about the values I'm trying to embody and I'm trying to live. I think about the choices that I'm trying to make. And really, the unlearning, I think, comes from trying to be as conscious about my choices as possible, rather than just settling into the default choices that are being made for me. Which requires, I, I would have to, I'd have to imagine, I know, a, a great degree of self-awareness, of an ability to reflect, and also some kind of inner guidance. Even you saying, you know, I'm I'm zagging when others are zigging. You know, <laughs> right. you're sort of it sounds like you were gifted with this, you know, this desire to be different or do things differently or kind of run in a different way. But for those of us maybe who had that desire but didn't have the surroundings that support it, supported it or still mm -hmm. don't, one of the things I notice is experience and oftentimes hard experiences are what force us out totally. of that box and into you know, the great beyond. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a great quote from somebody, which is, oh, I can't even remember. Maybe it was uh, George Bernard Shaw. He goes, look, n never trust a person's biography if it's just full of victories, because that's the least interesting thing about them. <laughs> it's about, it's about the, the hardships that actually kind of create and form the character. But of course, you don't really hear that. So, you know, when you introduce me on the podcast, you go, Michael's written this book, The Coaching Habit, that's been really successful. Michael is a Rhodes Scholar. Michael has run a successful business. And there's a bunch of kind of resume things that we can go, oh, look at Michael's glittering trophies. And I, I have those and I'm pretty excited about them. But, you know, what's also true about me is, you know, the first time I applied to be a Rhodes Scholar, I got rejected. And, I had, and it took me two years of licking my wounds before I went back to take another go at it. The Coaching Habit book, which, you know, has now sold more than a million copies, I spent five years trying to get a publisher to publish that. They kept turning me down until I finally self-published it because I just couldn't take the rejection anymore. And there's, you know, I, I went to law.
law school. I finished law school being sued by one of my law school lecturers for defamation. So there's a bunch of kind of flip side, dark side things about that I've experienced that have kind of strengthened my resolution and, and helped me form my character. All right. Thank you for sharing all of that because <laughs> I think the hardest part about deciding to go on the journey of choosing your worthy goal is number one, admitting that you want it. And then number two, you know, there are worthy goals that I've gone after and and continuing to. And I remember when I first started and I can remember the first book I read that asked me to write down what I wanted. And it was so scary. Like Mm -hmm. I was, I was like, I don't know if I can write this because once I write it, it's there. Right. And I wrote it. And it and I was scared and I, yeah. I think I closed the book and who knows where it is now. You know, I had gone through this process of writing down what I wanted and then looking for other people that I admired. And what I could see was all of their success. And what I couldn't see was any of their journey. And it's a really similar thing that I notice is out there because of social media, which has potential to do so much good, but also so much harm. Yep. That, you know, we don't get to hear the Michael Bungay Stanier saying, I failed at these things. Yeah. I, you know, I was being sued and I left law school. I licked my wounds for five years because I couldn't get published. I mean, these are the things that tell us that there is a path forward. And unfortunately, it's the things that we all like to hide, you know, when or, or get hidden when people are successful. If people are resonating with what you're saying, let me offer uh, another book that's just recently come out by my friend Dory Clark, uh, who's another New Yorker, and her new book is called The Long Game. And she just talks about what it means to kind of play the longer game to try and find the success that you're hoping for in your life. And, you know, she has a great story, which is like she tells a time where she set a kind of three-year plan and she had five main goals and four of them failed utterly. And she's known for the, the fifth goal, which she succeeded on, which is to make it onto the Thinker's 50 list of being a recognized leadership speaker and a leadership talker, which she's wonderful at. And what I loved about her book is that it kind of just shows the messiness of trying to struggle and fail and how it's almost never a linear path and how you're never quite sure how things will actually play out and they don't often play out the way that you think they are. But a long game mindset can make a real difference in terms of getting somewhere interesting. Well, and I, I know Dory's story and what's interesting about about her too is how many times she's reinvented herself. I think mm-hmm. that's what's really meaningful. She's been on this show before and we're talking about this idea of, you know, how to begin by starting with a worthy goal. And, you know, something that you share, of course, is that there are three elements of the worthy goal, important, daunting, and thrilling. Yep. But I wonder if you can also talk about, you mentioned David Brooks earlier, when we set these goals oftentimes, you know, I was just listening to someone who was talking about Deion Sanders and how his goal was to win the Super Bowl. When he finally won the Super Bowl, he's like, this is it? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And so what's the deal there? Like when we're thinking about our worthy goal and its importance, it's how daunting it is and how thrilling it is, what else needs to be true for us to actually understand in some ways, Michael, that it it shouldn't have the power that it has over us. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of almost misdirection in the book because you go th- the first third of the book is going through 
ways of drafting and redrafting your worthy goal so it feels powerful and resonant and important to you. And it's designed to have to speak both to internal motivation, that's the thrilling, and also external motivation, that's the important, and also that kind of learning edge, that growth, which is the daunting. But, you know, if you come back to that first statement, we unlock our greatness by taking on the hard things. That's very deliberately written. So it's not we unlock our greatness by winning (laughs) or (laughs) achieving the hard things. It's we unlock our greatness by taking on the hard things. And as with so much of life, it turns out that doing the work and the process, the journey is actually the interesting bit and actually where the juice is. So you've got Dion Saunders going, look, actually it turns out winning the Super Bowl just turned out to be another thing. And that's, you hear that all the time. You know, I wanted to be a New York Times bestselling author. Ah, and I am. Huh. <laughs> and so, okay, I want to be a millionaire. Oh, I'm a millionaire. Okay, so, right, it's not as exciting or as important as I thought it was. But actually, so often, if you've found a purposeful, meaningful way to do the work that gets you there, you're like, ah, oh, that's where the magic was. So for Dean Saunders, it's like, you know what? It was being part of my team. It was becoming extraordinary as a footballer. It was working a way to keep winning when it was hard to keep winning. That's actually the thing that shapes 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 his character and becomes the stories that he tells. The 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 end point is often just the kind of ta-da moment where you're like, okay, good. What's the next thing? Yeah. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. And you talk about, you know, the progress principle, which Mm. I first read about in John Haidt's book, The Happiness Hypothesis. And I love that you brought it up, which is that they have found also scientifically that 
the brain actually doesn't get some crazy jolt of energy and is not on some high for, you know, a year after you accomplish that thing, like even winning the Super Bowl right. or having your book be a New York Times bestseller. It's actually that you are most fulfilled and joyful in the process, which is, by the way, so hard to really accept. Uh, totally. It totally is because we all want the medal. We all want the, the ticker tape parade because it feels like the thing. But, you know, there's that kind of related research that says, you know, when you go back a year after a significant event, a year after you win the lottery, you're about as happy as you were before you won the lottery. Mm. A year after a catastrophe that leaves you a quadriplegic, you're about as happy as you were before you were a quadriplegic. We have a base level of happiness and an event doesn't really affect that. But what does affect it is this kind of commitment to a purposeful life. And I think the worthy goal is one of the doorways where you can find a way of going, this is how I grew myself and this is how I make the world a bit better. Yeah, well, and you're a coach, right? So a lot of this work is about also how we become our best selves, which sometimes to me can feel a little, you know, that that phrase even is a tough one. I'm like, gosh, it's so overused. And, you know, you said in the book to strive to become your best self is a lifetime's work. And so I see this this worthy goal also being about, as you share in the book, unlocking your best self. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about, it might sound obvious, but a little bit about what is it to become our best selves and how do we get on that path? That's a really interesting question. You know, it, you look at some of the research on how adults develop and there are kind of two key movements. You kind of make incremental progress. So, you know, you get a tiny bit better every day. You get a tiny bit smarter. You get maybe a tiny bit kinder. And then occasionally you take a leap kind of you level up. You know, Robert Keegan has written quite a lot about this. You know, he goes, there are five main five main levels that you can move through. I love these. So I'm so glad you brought these into the book. <laughs> right. So there, there are these levels that you can kind of move through and not everybody gets to the final level, but we all have this kind of possibility of getting there. And this sense of the incremental growth often just happens all the time, but it takes a certain something to leap to the next level. And I do think that a worthy goal has this potential to help you level up. So the metaphors that I share in the book, just to try and help people understand the difference between the two is, you know, the incremental stuff is like downloading an app on your phone. Like it makes your phone a little bit better. It makes, you know, if you use it, it makes you a little bit better as well. But sometimes downloading an app doesn't get you the thing that you want. I mean, maybe other people are like me and you're like, I've downloaded 67 exercise apps. I use none of the above. Sometimes actually you don't need a new app. You need a new operating system. You need a kind of a leveling up of that. And, you know, another way of putting it is U plus versus U 2.0. And so the question that I've got is like, how do I just be the best version of myself that I can be. And I appreciate that not everybody has that as a question that they care about. But quite possibly, if you're listening to this podcast, you do care about that. So like, how do you unlock that best version of yourself? Well, I do think it is through this very broad way. I think I try and manage my life. And I don't want, to, I don't want people to think that this is the universal answer because it's not. This is just me and, and my life. But there might be something useful here for people. So I hold a big, impossible, loose purpose 
thing for me. I came up with it about 20 years ago, and it's kind of mostly stood the test of time. And this is the way I put it about me. I go, I'm trying to infect a billion people with the possibility virus. Hmm. Now, this this was a much better statement before there was a global pandemic, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> stick with me around this. You know, the possibility virus as a metaphor works for me because I'm trying to help people make the the boldest, bravest choices about their lives. And it feels to me that this is a very existential thing, which is like, if you understand that you are constantly a choice, you know, man's search for meaning says this, if you're, you, you, ha you always have choices, how do you take the bravest choice? How do you stay alive and active and aware of your choices? That feels like it's a, it's a big win. So that's what I'm trying to do. And the idea of infecting people with a virus works for me because it means that I have to I have to decenter myself. I have to get myself out of the way. It can't be me touching a billion people because that's impossible. I have to put ideas out in the in the world in some way that I hope will spread, that I hope will be passed on. And so that's still a motivating mission statement for me. It's 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 way more specific and way more metaphorical than some people's are, but it's really helpful for me to have that bigger goal that I'm looking to play. And then on a regular basis, I go, what's the best thing I can be doing right now that will help me get closer to that goal? And I never know for sure. It's always a guess. <laughs> I'm never, it's like, okay, here's my best guess right now as to what I should be doing. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's starting a company. Sometimes it's starting a podcast. Sometimes it's doing something else altogether. But I go, what's, what's my best guess as to what my next worthy goal is? And a worthy goal is going to last somewhere from six months to five years. It depends on what you're taking on and what it looks like and who you are. But when a worthy goal finishes, like, when how to begin is out in the world and I finished talking about it and marketing it, then that's done. I, I tie a bow on that. And then I go, now what? What's my next worthy goal? And this kind of rolling cycle of, of worthy goals where I'm like thrilling, important and daunting. What does that mean to me now? Who am I trying to be now? How does it contribute to the possibility virus now? Just helps me stay actively engaged in me trying to live this good life and be a, a good person. Wow. So first of all, the possibility virus, I love and in context, I also get we need it. We need a new a new phrase. But sticking with that, you know, and, and with the purpose piece, it sounds like what you're saying is you you've been able to craft for yourself very simply a North Star. Mm -hmm. And and there are so many times, I think for all of us, that we either don't have one or we're on someone else's <laughs> journey towards yeah. their North Star. And, you know, for me, the moment of recognizing the shift from, you know, the way you phrase it of U plus to U2.0 was hearing about Robert Keegan's work and watching him speak about this shift from, you know, these five stages of development of which the final three beyond, you know, adolescence are the socialized mind, the self-authoring mind, and then the self-transforming mind. And my shift was very clearly from a socialized mind to a self-authoring mind. Now, not everyone has that shift. I think he says 65% of the population mm -hmm. are in the socialized mind space. And it's some event, typically, that rocks you enough that mm. pushes you into your next kind of stage. So it's not that we're choosing every time. But what I love about your book is that 
the through line here is that this is sort of like, you know, going into your book, reading and deciding on your worthy goal, understanding the things that you do to get in your own way and how your worthy goal is aligned to becoming your best self is sort of the I'm opting in to moving into me 2.0 or me going from the socialized mind where I seek outside of myself for you know validation to going to I, I seek within and I choose my own path. Yeah. That is your book is deciding that you're going to change. Yeah. And I think often to your point, this book will find you if you're at a bit of a crossroads moment. You know, if you've finished your career, if you've just been fired, <laughs> if you're like for me, you know, a couple of years ago, I stopped being the CEO of the company that I founded. So I stepped away from that role and was like, now what? <laughs> now who am I? Now what am I doing? If you come out of university and you're like, all right, I don't really want to 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 move into the, you know, inverted commas rat race because that's not my thing. But now what? What do I, what am I trying to do? And when you have those moments of pause, which is often externally triggered. Something's happened that's put you into a situation where you're like, okay, it's not immediately obvious <laughs> what the next thing is. Then this might be an opportunity to stop and go, what if I shaped this? What if I took my best guess at what, how I'd like to run this and moves into this understanding that, you know, this is your life. You don't get to control a lot of it, but you get to control some of it. And a choice around where you might put your time and attention is a very powerful choice indeed. Yeah. And you, you're, you know, the, the choice to move towards this worthy goal or, or just to even write it down, right? To admit that mm -hmm. you have it, which by the way, the worthy goal for those of you listening does not have to be some, I'm going to change the entire world. No, Michael makes it not. really right like really easy to say you know maybe my goal is not so broad maybe it's a little bit more intimate so there are many areas and ways we can create you know a worthy goal but you know i remember myself writing my own goal down and like i said i probably threw away the book how do you notice that people get in their own way when it comes to the worthy goal oh gosh that's a good question the first thing it's worth saying is there's all sorts of structural issues that can get in the way of you claiming a worthy goal and mostly structural issues that I don't face because I'm a straight, white, overeducated, English-speaking, good-looking dude. I'm not that good-looking, but all the rest is true. <laughs> you tried to slide that one in. <laughs> I did. I tried to slide it in. I'm like, I, I can't back that up with any external evidence. <laughs> but, you know, we, we often go, look, I'm, I'm not ready yet. And, of course, you're never going to be quite ready. Or I, I don't deserve this, which is a story that, you've been told and you've picked up and maybe internalized. Sometimes people get in the way by trying to be a little too ambitious. They go from, you know, I don't have anything to, I'm going to reinvent democracy in America, which, which is actually a brilliant idea, by the way, but perhaps just a bit too vast to, to start with. Sometimes we, we get seduced by the comfort of the status quo. I mean, this is a really big thing, I think, which is just like going, you know what? This is fine. This is comfortable. I'm, I'm not willing to risk discomfort or conflict or ambiguity or uncertainty. I'd rather stay in the, the comfort of where I am now. And it's very seductive and it, there's lots of good reasons to stay there. But what you do is you miss out on that chance of, 
thrilling, important, and daunting, the, the next version of you, of having an impact in your world greater than you're having right now, of unlocking your best self. What's interesting is, you know, I've, I've heard people and I've myself thought, why would I want to stay in this comfort zone when it's not even that fun here? Right? <laughs> right. Like, why, why would I want to stay here? And yet, for some reason, I do. And, you know, when you're in your book, you, you have, you know, have readers write down, what are you doing or not doing that are that's getting in the way of, you know, getting towards your worthy goal? Yeah. And also, what do you give up? when you do move towards it, uh, if you do choose to. And some of the things I, I realized was like, wow, I am staying in the comfort zone at the cost of some things that could be really meaningful for me. That's the middle section of the book, the commit section. And it forces you in a way that doesn't often happen. And in fact, this has a, a debt to Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy's work in Immunity to Change, which is like, what are the prizes and punishments if you didn't take on your worthy goal, if you stayed in the status quo. And it forces you to understand the price that's getting paid, which is often hidden, but also the benefit of the status quo. Because I think people just underestimate how committed they are to the way things are right now. Even people like you and me who go, no, I'm all up for change and growth and personal development and all of that stuff. You know, we talk a good game, but we, we're, the <laughs> status quo is seductive and it's actually working okay for us. Even if we're busy and stressed and not, it's not entirely great, it, it feeds a number of our kind of immediate ego states to keep us where we are. And then I asked the same question, what are the prizes and punishments if you fully committed to this worthy goal? So you're not only naming the benefits, which you know, people will see pretty obviously, but they're also naming what's at risk by you taking on a worthy goal. And it's trying to make you see a more holistic understanding about what's at risk by staying where you are and what's at risk by moving forward. What's the benefit of staying where you are? What's the benefit of moving forward? And when you see all of that, you're more fully able to commit because you've got a slightly more nuanced understanding of what commitment will cost you and what commitment might give to you. So it's it's asking us to really look at the truth of, you know, how whatever we're doing right now and the status quo is actually serving us in some way. Yeah, exactly. And it asks you to get clear on what are you willing to lose to make this commitment because you know, in the coaching habit book, I talk about the strategy question. If you're going to say yes to this, what must you say no to? And this is a kind of slightly deeper dive into that, which is like, what's the risk here? When I published my first book, which I self-published, I just got to a place where I'm like, okay, this is a complicated book. It's not, <laughs> and it was 15 years ago. So it was before it was super easy to self-publish. And I'm like, I inherited $20,000 from my grandfather when he died. I'm going to put that all onto the book. And I am at peace in understanding that I may never see that money again, <laughs> that it may be gone. Likewise, when I gave up being CEO at Box of Crayons and I handed that role to Shannon, who's this brilliant woman who's the, the CEO of Box of Crayons now, I had to sit with the understanding that now that Shannon is the CEO, the company might fail utterly under her leadership because that's what happens to companies. They, they will often fail regardless of how good the CEO is or isn't. And I need to be comfortable with going, box of crayons may fold. And I'm like, okay, once I'm comfortable with that, I'm sitting with the risk and I'm willing to take that risk. 
for you, I mean, you used your examples throughout the book. You know, oftentimes we're not willing to take the risk or we're, we don't know what it feels like to take the risk or, mm. you know, we're afraid of what's going to actually happen. Right. And I loved what you shared in the book, which was oftentimes when you really believed you were risking money or, you know, time or notoriety, those things weren't actually true. Yeah, well, it's it's a kind of version of catastrophizing, I think, which is you make up that there's a lot more at risk than actually is. But it's also just great to know that there is actually some stuff that is truly at risk. Like, I've done some stuff, and it hasn't worked, and it's cost me money. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's annoying. That's $10,000 or, you know, I think of the most expensive thing I tried to do that didn't work. And it was like, I think it was like $100,000, which... That's a vast amount of money, <laughs> and I would, and I miss it. Every, I don't miss it every day, but you know, I'm like, <laughs> give, given the choice between having that money and not having that money, I'd prefer to have that money. You'd take it back. Yeah, I'd take it back. And it wasn't, it wasn't my personal money. It was my company's money. So it has to be kind of in that context of risking corporate money rather than my own personal money. But it's still, it's a hundred grand. But we had decided that we knew that that was at risk. And you know what? The thing didn't work and we lost that money. So now within the company, we're going, okay, so how do we make sure that we've learned $100,000 worth of lessons from that experience so that we get smarter for doing it next time? So, you know, what it sounds like what you're saying, if, if we were to sort of bring this full circle back to even setting the worthy goal, the purpose of the worthy goal may not be to achieve that thing and be like Deion Sanders, you know, holding the Super Bowl cup and going, wait, what is this? It sounds like what it's almost aligned to is what are you learning? Well, I think that's another way of saying, you know, how do you become your best self? Because I think you know, this unlocking your greatness is a process of learning. So it's learning what you can risk. It's learning what matters to you. It's learning what you're capable of. It's learning about the impact you want to have in the world. All of that is about you unlocking your greatness. All right, Michael, I'm going to have you complete these three statements. Better humans are. Generous. Better work is. In service. And a better world has. A long-term vision of what matters. I like that one too. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just reading a book at the moment, which is wonderful, but also terrifying, called The Ends of the Earth. And this wonderful science writer talks about the number of times that life has almost been made extinct on the planet, whether it's from a comet or whether it's from volcanoes or whether it's from both of those. Um, like, man, we are so lucky to be alive on this planet right now. And we're doing all we can to screw it up. So we've got to play a longer game here or else we're just going to be a very quickly extinct species. Well, thank you so much for being here, Michael. This was awesome. It's a pleasure. I really appreciate you joining us and can't wait for other people out there to, you know, if they haven't heard of you yet or heard of your work, to read this book and align to their own worthy goal when the time is right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been such a pleasure being in the arena with you. Our show is hosted by me, Leah Smart, and is produced by the amazing LinkedIn media production team. Gratitude to Dan Mills, Nicole Roach, Andy Ta, Katya Kostakova, and Lamia Bowden. 
Dan Lujan is the mastermind behind the scenes. Chris Eldridge did our cover art, and our music is from the ever-growing collection of APM Music. If you like our show, go on Apple Podcasts to subscribe and rate us. And if the spirit moves you, leave a review. It helps our work get out to more people like you who benefit from it. And if you want to stay in touch, subscribe to our newsletter. It's on LinkedIn and it's called In the Arena. And lastly, you can feel free to email me at inthearena at linkedin.com. Thanks for coming on the journey with me and I'll see you next time.